Welcome to the Harbor Church Podcast. Harbor is here to connect people with Jesus and with each other. If you're looking to get connected, you can find more info at harborchurch.com. Now here's this week's message from Pastor Josh. Come on, Harbor Church, let me hear you. Woo, man, I am ready to jump into this series. We started it two weeks ago, talking about this idea of being unstoppable. And what we're looking at, and this has been a series that I've been building towards um, and thinking on and working on for maybe over a year now, and it's it's incredibly important to our faith. It's incredibly uh, crucial for how we go forward because God is really doing some awesome stuff. Here's what Paul is doing. Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, and he says, guys, this is incredibly important. Our main text for, to, for this whole series will be in, in Ephesians chapter 6. So if you have a Bible, open your Bible to Ephesians 6. It's important to open up something and underline it. And we've got Bibles for you. I would love for you during this series to get used to having a Bible in your lap and taking notes. I think it'll be really helpful for you. Ephesians chapter 6. If you don't have a, if you don't have a Bible today, we'll put it up on the screen for you. He says this, a final word in verse 10. This is, this is Paul writing to the church at Ephesus. A final word, be strong in the Lord and in, in his mighty power. You need to be strong. We've got some stuff coming at us. I want you to, 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 to have what you need. Put on, this is verse 11, put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. The devil has schemes. The devil's coming at you. Uh, he's, he's telling the church, and like some of you, many of them didn't even realize they had an enemy. They didn't even realize that when they woke up in the morning, somebody was coming at them. And he's saying, hey, the devil has an entire playbook, a scheme set up to destroy your life. He hates you. He's waging war against you, and he's coming after you. Now, I recognize that some of you here today, you don't, um, you, you, you don't have a relationship with God. You're not sure what you believe yet or where to put your faith. I'm glad that you're here. Totally. I'm just glad that you're coming and checking it out. Let me say this to those of you who have already decided to put your faith in Jesus. When you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, when you became a Christian or a believer, when you made that step and said, hey, I don't, I'm not going to be the God of my life anymore, Satan put a bullseye on your back. When you accepted Jesus Christ, you found the antidote for sin, the solution, the key for freedom to, to, to overcome Satan's plan for everybody to join him in hell. He hates you because of that. He hates everybody. If you're here and you're an atheist and you're joining, like, like you're like, hey, I, I have, I'm not even a Christian. He still hates you. But if you actually have Jesus in your life, he extra hates you because you have a solution to the problem that, that, that has engulfed this planet. And so he's going to do everything he can to distract you, to discourage you, to deceive you, to jack you up. He is waging war against you. Some of you don't realize that. And that's why you're getting beaten down, broken. You're, you're battered and bruised. You're laying all over the battlefield because you're like, I don't even know I was in a fight. That's his point. And that's why Paul writes this. He says, put on all the armor of God so you can stand firm against the strategies of the devil. He, he emphasizes what I just said, verse 12. We're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. We're fighting against evil rulers of the, uh, and authorities of the unseen world. He's talking about demonic forces here, against mighty powers in a dark world, against evil spirits in heavenly places. He's saying there is stuff going on that you may not physically be able to see what's happening, but, but in the dark, unseen world, there is a battle waging for your mind and for your heart and for the souls of everybody. And he's saying this has taken place and you're right in the middle and some of you are just getting trampled. He says, I don't want that for you. I want you to be able to stand up. That's why he goes on in the next verse. Therefore, because of this battle that we're in, put on every piece of God's armor so that you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. And after the battle, you'll still be standing firm. I don't know if any of you like to watch like war movies or battle movies. Like I love like Braveheart or We Were Soldiers or like heck, even Lord of the Rings. I don't even care if it's like make-believe. I just love like action scenes and fight scenes and I watched all of them. And I, there's always a cool speech and I'm like, let's go. I've never seen anybody be like, here we go. Let's hope we die. Like nobody. Some of them know they're going to die, but they're like, nah, we're going to win. Like nobody plans on losing. Nobody plans. Nobody's like, yeah, well, here goes nothing. You know, like it's, it's like, we want to win. And I think beyond that, not only do you want to win, but like, sure, people are going to die. I just hope it's not me. <laughs> like, like, I would like to like, in, not only win, but like enjoy the victory party at the end. Like, I would like to be a part of still standing for the victory. And this is what Paul's saying. Paul's like, listen, we already know that in the end, the devil loses 
and Jesus is victorious. So the victory is assured. But what I want for you, he's saying, I want you to be able to still be standing strong, to not in the end be broken down and beaten like what Satan's plan is for you. He's like, I want better for you. So our theme, our main verse for today will be verse 14. He jumps into it. He says, stand your ground by doing this. Here's the armor. And he lists first, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. Now, next week, we'll talk about the breastplate of righteousness, the body armor of righteousness. But for today, we're going to talk about the belt of truth. And that's what I expected. Want, want, like, I'm here. I'm ready for the armor. Armor series. Let's go. Pastor, give me a shield. Give me a sword. Give me a spear. I want to kick some butt. Let's go. Here's the belt. Cool. <laughs> so glad I came for the belt one. <laughs> Unless this is Batman's utility belt, what value could it possibly have in a battle? This is how I feel. Maybe you're more spiritual than I am. I'm like, we're starting with a belt. <laughs> Like, God, I get it. We got to keep our pants up. But like, <laughs> could we like it started with something cooler? God says, no, 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 no. This one is, this one is the priority. He says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to emphasize this first because this is what the one that everything else builds on. And he says, what you need to build on, what you need to start with, what you need to make sure you never leave your house without is the belt of truth. And you might be sitting there going, like, what good does a belt do? It's an accessory item, right? That's what it's become. It's become items like, like we mostly wear them for show. My brother pastors down in Texas, they walk around with giant belt buckles. I don't think it does anything other than be like, look what I do. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> weird. Um, but like, that's kind of what we think. And like some of you that grew up like, you know, a couple decades ago, you went, you know, you had the studded belts that didn't even go through your belt, you just got like hung halfway not me, because I was cool. I was a jock. But some of you were like emo, I can tell. Like, you did that. Don't, don't lie. Look at you. Half of you know what a hot topic is. You were in there. You had your existential crisis as a teenager. I know. Uh, those kind of belts. I was thinking, like, what would be a cool belt, right? So I was thinking, what would be a cool belt to illustrate? And so I was like, man, I'm going to get that. I was given this belt as for speaking at a men's conference. And I was like, this is kind of like what I was thinking, like, just like a kick butt, like, yeah, like, yeah, here we go. We have created title belts now. This is a more modern thing in the last century. You know, belts that kind of display like who we are and like what we've won. There's no practical use here. It just looks cool, you know, it's shiny, it looks cool. I got it for speaking, like I said, at a conference. And I thought, man, this is, this is what like we should do. But here's the point. He doesn't pick a belt because there's no practical use. He actually is speaking to the practicality when he speaks of the belt of truth. And I would say, well, they don't even wear pants. What value is a belt? Now, let me just illustrate. Paul, Paul was, was using the, the, the picture of a, a warrior from that day and age. So let me show you a picture, a typical picture of what like a warrior would look like. It would have been the Roman soldier. This was, the, this was written during the Roman Empire. So everybody would have gotten used to seeing these guys. And the warriors, they, they had their, their battle tunics like stopped above their knee. The average man, whether Jew or Gentile, would have worn a long tunic or a long robe that would have gone almost down to his ankles. So the original, like a, a more, uh, an older uh, translation of this text, if you go back to, to verse 14, an older version of this text is that where we have it putting on the belt of truth, it actually was phrased, girding up your loins with truth. Now, I didn't use that translation because some of you are like, gird your loins. All right, it's going to be that kind of church. Um, <laughs> gird your loins, what it meant was the, the people who had, like, as the men would have long tunics, the same thing for the ladies. There's, the ladies could gird their loins as well. It was, it was this idea that you would take your tunic, your, your robe, and you would fold it in half at the knees and tuck the top into a belt. You would either, they either had a rope or a piece of fabric or a piece of leather that was a belt, and they would pick the, they would take their tunic, fold it in half, and tuck it in. You can see this where Elijah um, is going to have to outrun. He's going to run against a chariot. He he ties up his robe around his waist. Um, just I don't have time to read them, but Job thirty eight three. God demands Job gird up your loins. Give me an answer. Uh, in Proverbs thirty one verse seventeen, it's uh, it's speaking about a virtuous woman. It says she girds up her loins. The whole idea of gird up your loins was used because 
you couldn't just have a long robe or a tunic if you're, I mean, like it's full if you're going shopping, <laughs> but you couldn't have a long flowing tu tunic or robe if you're going to go to battle. To gird up your loins meant get everything put together, pick it up, tie it together, hold it together because you've got some action to take. You have a job to do. You're going to start picking up on my preaching here in a second. The Bible says, gird up your loins, get everything pulled together. You need a belt. You need a girding of truth because you need something that holds you together so that you don't trip and fall, so that you don't get messed up in the middle of battle, so that you're not confused. There's not everything doesn't just go everywhere. You need it all tied together. You need something that pulls together, ties together, holds together so that in the middle of battle, you're not going crazy and you're not all of a sudden fall apart as like some kind of a mess or something. And he says, gird up your loins, get a belt to hold it together. But also notice, it's not just meant to be a physical thing. It's a psychological thing as well. First Peter 1.13, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober, rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus. This is a spiritual call to arms. To put on a belt meant to gird up, means to get ready for battle. It means, hey, wake up. Somebody's coming to attack you. Be ready to defend yourself and be ready to hit back. Gird up, belt up, get ready. It is a movement. It is a call. It is a whoop, alarm sounded. The first thing you do if somebody's getting ready to fight you is you gird up that tunic. You gather everything together and you need a belt that holds it together so things don't get sloppy in the middle of battle. Now that'll preach more than you're responding, so I'm gonna move on and show you something else. Here's the other thing. Paul's sitting there writing this from a Roman prison cell. He writes the book of Ephesus while as a prisoner, and he was assigned, because of the kind of high-priority prisoner, he would have had at least one, if not two, Roman soldiers guarding him 24-7. So as he's writing this letter, he could look over and he'd see a soldier. Probably a soldier looks something like this. He can look over and see that guy standing there in all of his gear. Now, here's what you don't know. The Roman soldier, you might not know this, the Roman soldier carried on average 70 to 80 pounds of armor on his body. You see these two belts across his waist? They acted less like a, a title belt and more like one of these, like a weightlifting belt. See, the belts... On the Roman soldier. Now, I was going to do a tool belt because it holds the sword, but we're going to wait for the sword. The sword is going to be a cool message when we get to that. But the belt, the belt, more than anything, what the belt acted as is like a girdle. See, it's it's 70 to 80 pounds of armor. So it what it did is it would strap around their waist. It would strap around their waist, so it's velcro or whatever. It would come around their waist. And if you haven't seen a, a, a weightlifting belt or a back support belt, it, it puts all the weight up so you can carry more. And what happens in the Roman soldiers when they would put their belt on, it would take the weight of all their armor and keep them from getting exhausted. It would keep them from getting weighed down and, and having to strip off the rest. It allowed them to support the rest because what it did, ready for this? It shored up, it stabilized their core. It gave them stability for everything else that would weigh on them so that they could carry that weight in the middle of battle. They wouldn't be all, uh, all falling apart. So this gird up your loins with a belt was the idea of get ready for action, get everything centered, have a stable core. And what is the most stable core you can have? Truth. He says the thing that you have to have going into this battle, you have to have the absence of lies. Satan loves to undermine and destabilize your life with lies and deception. So you have to be rooted and grounded in something better than that, something better than popular opinion or social ideas or whatever culture is telling you. You have to have something called truth. And he says this belt stabilizes you. It holds your core together. It gives you the, the ability to withstand what's coming. Because if you don't have it, as much as you want the righteousness and the faith, and the sword and the cell, and you want all the rest. You're not strong enough to carry it all if you don't have truth at the center of who you are. Amen. Come on. Come on. 
I was told not to use a podium because I get real old school and I'm sorry. <laughs> I did it because I have so many notes today. I normally preach from a little table, but I do feel like my old school, like seminary days coming back. So I'm going to like, I'm going to pull back, pull back on it. But I do want you guys to understand when we talked about why Satan comes at us in battle, his number one plan has always been deception. His number, his, his best tool, his biggest tool is the thing that is most characteristic of him. It's lies. If you go back to the Garden of Eden, what did he do? He showed up to Eve and goes, hey, God really mean that? What did God really say? Do you think God's really talking about that? And what he's doing is he's taking truth and he's questioning it and he's undermining it and he's bringing in doubt. If we can just doubt the truth of God, does God really love you? Will God really save you? Will God really accept you? All these things. He just casts doubt by taking truth and shifting it into lies. I read this to you last or two weeks ago. I'll read to you again today. John 8, 44. Jesus is talking to church people who didn't really love God. They actually loved themselves. And he says, hey, you're actually children of the father, the devil. You love to do evil things he does. Here's a description of him. He was a murderer from the beginning. He's always hated the truth. He hates the truth. He hates you and he hates the truth. There's no truth in him. When he lies, it's consistent with his character. He's a liar. He's the father of lies. If you're here today and you're a perpetual liar, you might want to double check who your father is. He loves to lie. Deception is his battleground because it creates instability. It creates confusion and it wears you out. If you don't have the belt of truth, you're going to get worn out in this battle. You won't be able to keep the rest of it going. You won't be able to last through it. That's why Jesus, or I'm sorry, that's why God emphasizes in this, in this chapter through Paul, the most important or the most prioritized piece of armor is not your shield or your sword or all the other cool stuff. The most, the, the, the most prioritized piece, the thing you can't leave home without is truth. You have to start with your core being stabilized in truth. So we ask the question then today, what's truth, pastor? <laughs> That's easy for you to preach. I live in the real world. What's truth? Do you understand how hard it is to say truth? If you go to college today, then you would, you would hear this. Truth is relative. Truth is whatever you need to be. Truth is wherever it is. Uh, if you ask a psychologist, an average uh, psychologist would tell you is, man, truth is what you feel it to be. This is very popular today. How do you feel about it? If you feel like it's true, then it's true. But if you don't feel like it's true, then it's not your truth. Why? Because you do you. You do you. If it feels good to you, you do it. That's truth, right? It's just your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. See, that's a psychologist. An accountant, whereas a psychologist say truth is what you feel it to be, an accountant or somebody like it might say truth is what you need it to be. Truth is what you need to be. If you need to get this, then add this and this and make an equation. Take facts and rearrange them and get to this. If you need this to be truth, then whatever you need it to be, then find a way to make it that. If I need this to be true, then I'll find the things that support my truth. A lawyer would just say, truth is whatever you want it to be. <laughs> we can talk about that later. But I mean, am I, am I preaching to myself or am I right? Does it not feel like truth just seems to be flexible and fluid in the world today? Does it not feel like truth is always changing? Not just moral truth, like, like basic truths. Like I feel like my, my science teacher owes me an apology because Pluto is not a planet. Now, the truth is Pluto was a planet when I was in school. Not anymore. I don't know how you just not planet anymore, but like that's the truth and it's changed. It's a fact, but it's a different fact today than what it was because, you know, whatever. And I'm like, whether it's, I mean, like, listen, I, little things like I remember as a kid, it was like fat, fat's wrong. Don't you know fat is the worst. Don't eat any fat. Like every, everything you bought had to be like low fat, fat free, you know, all that. Now my doctor's like, Hey, you don't have enough fat in your diet. You want me like, yeah, that's good. Now that's good. Now coffee was bad yesterday. Today, coffee's good for like it, the truth is changing all the time. Doesn't it feel like it? How do, what do we do with that? I'm going to give you five things about truth that I want you to write down. First is this, truth is absolute. You don't, society will always have this moving target for you 
And what I want you to understand is truth is absolute. Now, I don't have much time, but I really want to just take a aside as your pastor and talk about absolute truth. The Bible gives us absolute truth. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you call Harbor Church your home, will you stop mixing the absolute truth of God with your opinion? I, I can't, I, I don't, I don't get to pastor anybody else. Don't tell me what other churches are doing and what your friend or what. Here's my thing. All right. God's given us absolute truth and you go on social media and you quote a Bible verse and put out absolute truth and then you tag your stupid idea to it and everybody goes, oh, that's what that means. And what you're doing is you're confusing everybody because you're a conspiracy theorist or you really have an opinion on politics or you really want me to buy essential oils from you and so you quote a verse from Proverbs. I, I don't care. I, listen, I don't care. You do you. But don't bring absolute truth into it. All right? Don't pull God's truth into your whatever and then try to make everybody in there. I know I just hurt some people's feelings, but just follow along with me. I have opinions on everything. I have an opinion on things. I, like, I love the Patriots. Doesn't mean I go quote Bible verse about how Patriots should win everything. Like, I just want the Patriots to win, and that's my truth, but that's not absolute truth, okay? What you're doing is you're making us, you're making Christians look really gullible and or stupid. So stop doing it. Like, just be, just be chill. Like, I'm a conspiracy theorist. I love conspiracy theories. I just go to my father-in-law randomly and be like, hey, we never land on the moon. And then I walk away just to watch him, like, like have a vein pop out. You know, it's fun. They're fun. But I don't, I don't, I'm not, by the way, I don't actually believe that. Please don't send me an email. Just stop tying your opinion to Bible verses and, con con and mixing up absolute truth with what is like your truth. Um, also, let's move on. Let's move on. Truth, not only is there absolute truth, truth exposes lies. This is hard because this is not what culture, culture is moving so far away from this. There's no lies anymore. Everything is truth if you want it to be truth. Your truth is different from my truth. No, no, no. If there is such a thing as truth, then that means everything that is not truth is not truth. Those are also called lies. I had an illustration about asking my son whether he did or didn't do anything. He didn't quite give me the truth, you know? And we get really good at not quite the truth. Those are called lies. And we are allowed to call out lies. We are allowed to call out that there are things that are not true, that there are things that are not, that, that are not right in the world around us. Here's what people have told me, like, oh, well, it's just, it's, it's, I just have to, I have to be, uh, it's really obvious. Yes. Yeah. It's easy to call out the obvious ones. And some of you aren't even doing that. You're like, you're just letting complete crazy lies be spoken over you. If you won't call out obvious lies from truth, you're not going to, you're not going to find real discernment. That's not discernment. That's like just obvious. I like what Charles Spurgeon said about discernment. He said this. Discernment is not knowing the difference between right and wrong. It's knowing the difference between what is right and what is almost right. See, Satan won't come at you with like crazy opposites. He'll come at you with the truth and then just change it a degree. He'll come at you with a, with, with, he came to Jesus with a Bible verse. How's that a lie? The truth, the Bible is absolutely true. Yes, the verse was completely true. He took it out of context have a whole sermon on bad pastors and bad preaching. I can't get into it. Um, but like you take, you take even truth and you change it a little bit. It's no longer truth. All right, let's move on. I'll, I'll, I'll keep emphasizing this, but let, let me get you back to the list. Truth is not subjective to popular opinion. Some of y'all need to hear this. It doesn't matter how many people agree about a lie. It never becomes truth. Sad to say, pastors aren't even preaching this anymore, but it's going to be very soon in our society where nobody is allowed to speak up against the lie. And as long as everybody agrees on a lie, then everybody has to accept it as truth. And it doesn't matter how many people say the sky is green. It doesn't make the sky green. It just makes everybody delusional and living in a lie. A lie is a lie and it never becomes a truth. doesn't matter how many of your friends agree with you. It's still a lie. We had to be a little bit more, like a little bit more intentional about whether we follow the crowd on everything or not. And just because you look at something and if God's word and the Holy Spirit tells you this is wrong, it doesn't matter if everybody at work says it's okay. 
Uh, no, I'm speaking truth. Some of you guys, I've preached against premarital sex like four or five times, and you're like, yeah, but that's how everybody does it. I don't care if everybody does it. God says, stop doing it. Well, everybody makes shady deals at work, and we all kind of skirt the system. That's how we get more money. I don't care if everybody at work is a little bit shady. God tells you to be honest. You have to go with this is right and that is wrong. It doesn't matter how many people do wrong. I'm going to do right. All right. Let me give you another one. This one's hard. Truth is knowable. This is hard because the world would say it's not. And I'd be inclined to believe them if all I ever did was watch TV. Because if something happens in the world today and I go home and I turn on the news, they'll tell me what happened. But if I turn on a different channel, they will tell me something else that happened. Like, how does the same thing have two different... How can that be? The, there's, what's the truth? The truth isn't knowable anymore. I don't, how can I know the truth? There's just no, no way to know it. See, the, Satan loves to operate in this vagueness of like, you can't really know the truth. So everybody's truth is everybody's truth. And you, let's not actually think that your truth is a real truth. Maybe that pastor said that, but it's not real, real truth. You need, it's everybody, you know, just go with it. Truth is knowable. Here's the definition of truth. Here's the definition of truth. Write it down. Truth is an objective standard by which reality is measured. Truth is an objective standard by which reality, not fantasy, but reality is measured. Let me define objective standard for you. You might want to write this underneath. It is outside of you. Truth is something outside of your opinion, your feelings, I'll even say it this way, even outside of your personal experience, well, I had this happen, and so this, even outside of how you feel and how you think and what you've experienced and what your conclusions are, truth operates outside of that, real truth. One of my favorite preachers, a guy named Tony Evans, he said it this way. He said, truth is that which all things must conform to. Truth is reality in its original norm. That which is real because it was real originally. In order to discover truth, you have to look for its origin. You guys ever play telephone? You know what I'm talking about? Whisper, whisper 20 people down. It's a completely different thing. But the, as you go back to the original, you get the truth. The closer you get, the better it is. So he's saying truth has to come back to its origin. And since God was the originator of all origin, only God could be the fixed standard for what is true. See, there's no pre-origin to God. Now, this is either your, this is where you have to come to, like, I'm either going to choose to believe that and make the standard for truth God, the one that predates origin, or I'm going to make myself and or the world around me the standard for truth. The, by the way, the same world that keeps changing truth every couple of minutes. You have to pick a standard, and either the standard is whatever the TV says today, or the standard is the God who was the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and is unchanging and has the truth and was there at the beginning. You can't predate God. You can't double-check God. You can't be like, hey, uh, what do you think he was? you think he messed up when he said that whole like light and darkness? Like You don't get to go, go above God's head. He was at the beginning before anything existed. So I choose to say that's the standard for truth. In doing that, let me, let me bring you to Ephesians chapter 1. This is a great, great chapter. You should go read Hebrews if you've never read it, especially chapter 1. I want you to underline something in your Bible. This is what Hebrews 1 verse 1 says. Long ago, God spoke many times in many ways through, to our ancestors ancestors through prophets. We know that. Uh, Moses spoke and Samuel and, and, and different guys, Elijah, and God spoke through them. But then he goes on and he says, and now in these final days, God speaks to us through his son, Jesus Christ. God promised everything to Jesus, to his son as an inheritance. And through the son, he created the universe through the son, through Jesus. Jesus is the word. The spoken word of God is Jesus Christ, his son. The sun, verse three, get ready to underline this. The sun radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God and he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. The character of God, i.e. the origin of truth is Jesus Christ. The very character of God is, the, is Jesus Christ in that origin. He says this, and, and it's probably one of the most powerful verses 
in the entire Bible, John 14, 6. Jesus claims, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody comes to the Father but by me. Those of you that aren't familiar with that verse, let me show you something. It doesn't say I am a way to God. I'm a truth. He is saying there is one way and only one way to get to God. There is one truth and only one truth. It doesn't matter what this person teaches or that person teaches or what your mom said or what your friends believe. There is one truth and only one truth, and it's Jesus Christ. And that's number five. Truth is a person. Truth is a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. And truth said there is one way to have the one kind of life that's real life, and it's through Jesus the word. Now, if you can find the originator of all things, which is God, and he says the standard for truth is the word Jesus, you have to pick. Will that be your standard? Will not? Now, my father-in-law told me about this thing called the Naval Observatory Master Clock. He was a fighter pilot, and he was sharing with me how, like, uh, and I, there's a couple other guys here in the last service they were talking we were talking about the the master clock was is down to the like the like millisecond like microsecond on the like the standard time the universal standard time right so it's set there and you can call this number and they and they would do this you call this number and it would it'd be a recording and say hey at the tone the time will be 905 and then you would wait you'd turn your your watch to 905 and then it would go and you hit it real quick, and then you were as close as you could be. Now, this is incredibly important, especially if you think military, for precision bombings or, or if you're going to have anything go off where you all have to coordinate. I don't want to be waiting for an explosion to go off, and I think it's happening in two minutes, and you think it's happening in two seconds. We need to be on the same page. You understand the value of this? Okay. So everybody has to have the same time. So you call up, you call up the master clock. Now we also have one in Colorado. Space Force has one in Colorado. This the naval the naval observatory's master clock is in DC. And you call it up and you get the time and you change your watch. Now we don't have this problem as much because we have smartphones in our hands all the time and they update. But like, you know, like go to your house, your microwave says something different from your stove, which is something different from your VCR, or and most people don't have VCRs, but like if you got 12 clocks, you got 12 different times. I was in somebody's car recently. I got in. I'm like, oh my goodness, we're late. They're like, oh no. I said it, I said it ahead 10 minutes. <laughs> that way I'm like pleasantly surprised when I get there. And I'm like, freaking crazy. Like, fine, whatever. Here's what I've noticed. And here's here's I just want you to walk through. This is this is I love this analogy of the naval master clock. See, when you call the master clock and it tells you, hey, it's 9.05, and you look at your watch and your watch says 9.10, you know what you don't get to do? You don't get to call up the guys at the naval observatory and go, hey, um, just want you to know the clock's five minutes slow and I need it to get on my time. My time is 9.10, and I need the master clock to be changed to my time. See, when you call up for the master. You do not try to change the master to your truth just because it was your truth prior to hearing the master. You're like, this is my truth. As I was existing at 910. It was my truth. This is how I've lived. But now that I've heard from the master that it's actually 905, you don't get to tell the master to change to 910. You look and you say, I need to change back to what the master clock says. Okay. Okay, half of you are with me on this. Here's what, here's what happens. When you call, the master clock doesn't care that mama gave you your watch. This is my watch from my mom, and she loved me, and she gave me this watch, and this is the watch I've always had. Master clock doesn't care. Your clock is still wrong. Master clock doesn't care. The master doesn't care that all of your family have the wrong time. The master doesn't care that all of your classroom and all of your church and all of your friends, you've all agreed on the wrong time. The master still isn't wrong. You and all of your friends or all of your family or all of your church, they're wrong. They need to change to what the master says, not the master change to what everybody else says. This is how this works. That's what it means to have an objective standard outside of you. But most of us, we operate in this this, we want truth, but we only want our truth. See, in my time, so I need God to be on my time. No. Real truth is absolute, and you have to have a standard outside of yourself. So the question is, what will be your final standard? What's going to be your final standard? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with my feelings. 
If I feel like it's true, then I'm, that's my truth. And if I feel like it's not true, then it's not true. The problem with feelings is that they change. See, today you're happy, and tomorrow you're angry. And today you're content, and tomorrow you're discontent. Today you're energetic, but tomorrow you're apathetic. Truth cannot be subjective to change like that, or else it's not really truth. Okay, well, and by the way, just because just some of you are getting mad, I'm not saying feelings are bad. God created feelings. Emotions are a good thing. God didn't create your emotions to dictate your truth. Your emotions are supposed to fuel your action in truth. Emotions are great fuel. They're horrible compasses, okay? So you don't go off of your feelings. Well, then what I, I'm going to go off of my knowledge because I'm pretty smart, especially I look around this room. I'm pretty smart, Pastor. I'll go with what I know. Or I'll go with what the experts in society, what the leading scientists, mathematicians, you feel it figured out, whatever you respect. I'll go with what they say. Okay. Do you know what they say often? Oops. Or, oh, I love, I, I, I love like, you know, reading up on how like our, our space exploration is growing. They're constantly saying, whoo, you know why? They're finding new and new things that they've never known before. And they're naming planets that will eventually not be a planet again, I'm sure. And they're just, you know, it, our, our brains are finite. Even the smartest person on the planet, even the accumulated knowledge of all mankind is still limited because we don't know everything. There's only one person who knows everything, and that's the originator of knowledge who has an infinite amount of knowledge. That's the one we have to go back to. So it can't be our emotions. It can't be our knowledge. Well, what about my morality? That'll be mine. If I feel, if I see, if I know that to be good, if, if it's good, then it's true. And if it's bad, then it's untrue. Do you know that even your morality is different? Go to different cultures. What you find horrible and bad and evil, they might say is acceptable and good. Even morality is subject to difference. Truth is not. Truth is something you're going to have to make a definitive statement about. What are you going to use as your standard? What's your definitive statement going to be about truth? Here's a little caveat. It has to be true even, even if it hurts. Even if it hurts. Truth doesn't get to change just because it hurts your feelings a little bit. Man, guys, listen, I love you, but this is a problem with us, especially in America. If it offends me, then it's no longer true, and I'll just go find something else that doesn't offend me. The Bible says that your created purpose was not to make yourself happy. Yeah, it's not fun to hear, but it's true. The Bible says that if you turn to something, whether it's a person or a substance, I don't care if it's legal or illegal, if it's a person, a substance, a hobby, an object, if you turn to something and it dictates your happiness, that thing is an idol and it is a sin, regardless of how you feel about it. We got baby dedications today, which I'm excited about, so I got to speak to some parents in here. Your biblical directive, God's command to you as a parent, his instructions for you as a parent is to lead your children to know and follow God, not to conform to the world standards for success and happiness. Oh, hey, listen, that hurts. Because you know what God cares more about with my kids? He cares more that my kids know about Jesus than my, that my kids get a scholarship. Now, what does the world tell me I need to work on? Why are more parents taking their kids to a ball game or to a recital than they are to church? Well, my kid's happiness. No, that's not what God called you to do. You're their parent. How about this one? Your actions at work should reflect your spiritual boss more than they should your financial boss. Truths that, truths that are unpopular. God created humans as male and female. I didn't know that that would ever be challenged, but it is. This one hurts. There are more religious people going to hell than there are going to heaven. The issue with God is the issue that you have with God right now is rooted in your sin problem with pride and arrogance and not whatever it is you say it is. That hurts because I'm like, well, God's got, a, God's got this and God needs to fix this and I've got issues with God and I can't trust him and he doesn't do this. You know, all of those issues I have with God come back to my pride and my arrogance, whether I want to admit it or not. You, here's one. Your responsibility to your children doesn't supersede your responsibility to your spouse. 
Well, you don't understand, Pastor. I like my kids sometimes more than I like their other parent. Yeah, I know. I know. Um, I'm going to just, I'm going to jump to the end. See, here's the Bible. The uncomfortable truth with God's word, the uncomfortable truth that we can't compromise on, that we have to have as our belt, is that this Bible says that every single one of us are jacked up sinners. Every single one of us are messed up, whether we want to admit it or not. We're all dumpster fires. We're all fall short of, of God's grace. We all short, uh, fall short of God's perfection, I mean. And short of an intervention from a God who can forgive sin, a perfect God, we, we can't find any solution to it. We can't have any hope. This Bible says that we're all sinners and that we all need God's forgiveness. And then it also says that we're not God. But it says that he loved us enough to die for us that if we put our faith in him, he would forgive us. That is a truth that will be constantly for the rest of our, our time on this side of, of heaven. That's what, that, well, that truth will always be under attack from Satan. Why? Because God said this. Jesus said this in John chapter 8, verse 32. He said, you will know the truth, and the truth will do what? The truth will set you free. If I am Satan and I have a world chained and going to hell, the last thing I want is people with the key to their freedom walking around. So if truth sets them free, you better believe I'm going to do everything I can to distort that truth, to take those keys out of their hand. I'm going to tell you that truth is unpopular. I'm going to tell you that truth is unknowable. I'm going to tell you that truth is too complicated. That truth is, is, is going to make you unpopular. That truth, the truth can't be perceived because if you have that key, you might be able to give it to people and they would be free. And I don't want anybody going free. So I'm going to make sure that that key is as unappealing and as hard for you to find as possible. That is why truth is under a constant attack. That's why it's so hard for us to even have a message on it. Satan hates truth because truth sets you free. The devil operates in deception. He wants you to just compromise a little bit on truth. Here's God's truth for your life. Just go over here. And see, what we do is when we allow lies to come into our mind, when we allow truth to be compromised and we accept a lie, it takes root. It, it's a seed that gets planted. The devil operates in those areas. When you accept a lie, you open a door for the demons to come mess with you, to torment you, to ride in your mind and make you believe things. You get you turned all kinds of upside down. There's so many people in this room right now, there was a lie that you accepted, a lie that was planted in your brain, and now it has grown into this giant fortress of a, of a problem. There's a little lie, a little bit from the truth. You heard something when you were a child, and now today you don't believe that you're actually worthy of God's love. You had a seed planted in your mind about somebody who hurt you, and now you have a fortress that says that person doesn't deserve your forgiveness. See, we let little lies come in and they create these giant problems. You were, you were allowed this little lie of you can do whatever you want. It's not going to hurt anybody. Now you've got a fortress of a full-blown addiction. It was just a little lie. See, that's where Satan operates in these little lies. And that's why truth is so important. It's a, battle mind for our, it's a battleground for our mind. Romans 12, 2 says, change the way you think if you want God to, if you want to understand who God is and how he's working. It's a battle for your mind. Let me close by getting you to 2 Corinthians 10, 3. It says, even though we walk in the flesh, we don't battle in the flesh. This isn't going to be a physical thing. It might, it might come out in physical ways, but the battleground is in your mind and in your heart. For the weapons are of our warfare, not the flesh. They're divinely powerful. The things that God has given us, the armor and the tools he's given us are for the destruction of what? Fortresses. What kind of fortresses? The kinds that get built up one lie after another. The things, the strongholds in our mind where we have believed something that's not true. He says, we, our job is to destroy arguments. You know what arguments are? It's all the times you say the words, I think. I think this. And then the demons go, oh, we got her. She's thinking again. Here it is. Oh, look at him. He's so smart. He's about to tell us what he thinks. This is going to be great. Because I think is not the same thing as God says. 
And so we have to tear down those kind of arguments. We have to tear down all arrogance. The Bible calls it this way. It says, all lofty ideas that do what? That are raised against the knowledge of God. Any dumb idea that comes against the truth of God, it's our job to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. The Greek here for a lofty idea that gets in the way of God's knowledge is the Greek word that where we get our, our word partition. A partition, like in your house. Kind of weird, right? If you guys don't know what a partition is, it'd be like if I went in your living room and I put up a wall, now you have two living rooms. See, he says we're supposed to tear down those things. Satan is, loves partitions. He loves to put a partition up in your life because here's the thing, you can have some truth today as long as tomorrow you go back to his lie. You can have you some God today, as long as tomorrow you go back to relying on yourself. As long as we can put a partition in the truth, and we'll put some truth over here, but then you need to also understand, you need to live over on this side. If he can put up a little wall in your truth and get, get a side that you're gonna, you're gonna go back to. So the Bible tells us to come unveiled in 2 Corinthians 3. It says, drop the veil if you're gonna come before God. Drop the partition. Don't have these these parts of your life that are compartments. It's either truth or it's not truth. Come to God in truth. Come to God going like, I need you today and tomorrow and the next day and I'm broken, I'm jacked up and I believe lies, but I need truth to set me free. And you have that kind of a heart and then God begins to peel back layer after layer for some of you decade after decade of lies that have built up in your mind. They have changed your heart from what God wanted for you to what Satan wanted for you. You, you. You're discouraged, you're deceived, you're distracted. God goes, I've got a truth that'll set you free. Truth is the only ground that will produce three things. The fertile ground of truth produces real freedom. Some of you, you're not gonna find freedom from those things that have changed you up unless you get into truth, not half-truth, not kind of truth. Let God tell you where you're jacked up. This hurts because every single one of us, myself included, when we say, God, show me how I fall short of Jesus, there are some hard truths that we need to see, but that's where we will find freedom. I will love my wife better when God shows me the truth of where I'm coming short as a husband. I will be a better dad when God shows me the truth of where I'm falling short as a father. Same thing at work, same thing with my friendships. It may not be truths I want, but if I want to see, if I want to be, if I want to have the scales fall off, I want to have the problems leave, I have to live in truth. It's where real truth, it's where real freedom happens. It's also where sustainable growth happens. You want to grow, like really grow? It's not going to happen with me telling you the things you want to hear. Real growth. Your walk with God takes off when you're planted in truth, real truth. And lastly, that's complete victory. You find complete victory in the ground of truth. You can have some subtle little kind of wins, but that goes back to that partition. Satan's fine with you thinking you got a little victory over here. Like, oh yeah, that's good. As long as you still go back to that addiction. Yeah, 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 like God loves you. You can find that truth. But you know, like just remember that you need to go back over here into self-loathing. Like you can find a little victory, but real victory is gonna be when you tear down the partitions, you tear down the fortresses, you get rid of the lies and you say, I operate only in truth. That's my prayer for you. That's where I think God would, have, would be leading our church into what comes next. And so I'm gonna ask you to lean into a hard truth today. All of you, lean into the truth that God has better for you than what you've been operating in so far. Lean into the truth that many of us have been deceived by Satan. We've bought into lies that is not God's best for us. And there's people in our lives that we need to forgive. There's people in our lives that we need to show love to. There's things in our past that we have to learn to let go of. There's things in our life that we have to stop doing and things in our life that we need to start doing. And that's true for all of us. And that truth is where we're going to be set free. It's where we're going to grow. And it's going to be where we find victory. Let me pray over you if you would. If you would, bow your head. Close your eyes and I'll pray. And you pray quietly right where you're at. I'll pray out loud. Some of you, while I'm praying, I think you need to find the, the truth of a God who loved you enough to die for you. You've never, you've never accepted that truth. You've heard the truth that God loved you. You've heard the truth that you're a sinner. You've heard the truth that you need his forgiveness, but you've never humbled yourself to actually ask for it. So in this moment, as we lean into what's true, even if we don't want to hear it. There's people in this room right now 
the truth is you need the humility to surrender your life to God right now. You need Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins and to be the one calling the shots. He won't take that. He wants you to offer it. So as I'm praying out loud, why don't some of you who need Jesus right now just lean into the truth that he loved you enough to die for you, to set you free, and just ask him to forgive you. Ask him to be the Lord of your life. Tell him, admit to him that you're not a good enough God. Be honest. Tell him you need something bigger than yourself. The Bible says if you'll draw near to him, he'll draw near to you. While there's people praying all over this room, some of you that call yourselves believers that claim to be Christians, you need to be honest with the fact that the Holy Spirit's trying to tell you you've bought into some lies. You've got some growing to do. You've got some changing to do. You've got some people you need to have conversations with. You've got some habits you need to stop and some habits you need to start. Lean into that truth. As I pray, you pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the truth that only you can offer. And God, we ask that you would be in this service, in this moment, that each and every one of us would walk out of this room looking a little bit more like Jesus than how we walked in. God, I know that's, not, that's only possible if we, if we claim truth and we, we own where we've believed lies. We admit we're where we've fallen short. We, we admit where we've been deceived. We admit, God, where we've allowed a fortress to be built up. So God, today we ask that you would help us to gird our loins, to get ready for action, to actually have something that stabilizes us, God. We need, we need something more than our own opinion or what the world tells us to think. We need a standard that's immovable. We need a standard like you. So God, help us to hold to you this week. Tonight, tomorrow, as we get in the middle of it, as things come at us, as conversations and, and even problems surround us, God, help us, help us to find you. Help us to hold to you. God, it's in your name that we ask this, that we pray this. And all God's people said, amen. If you'd like to support the ministries of Harbor as we bring the hope of Jesus to our community and around the world, you can visit harborchurch.com give or text any amount to 84321. Thanks for listening. See you next week.